I have pressed record and I see the little blue lines doing blurby things, so I think we're good to go. Hello, welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we make farm law accessible and actionable for sustainable farmers and ranchers, as well as their networks of support. I'm Eva. And I'm Kate. In each episode, we explore real legal issues faced on farms every day providing key knowledge and tangible solutions to help you grow a thriving agricultural business. From managing liability to navigating tough conversations with landlords and neighbors, we've got your back. Let's get started. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back to the podcast. I'm especially excited about this episode because we're going to sit down and have a wonderful chat with farmer Katie Nixon of Greengate Family Farm. And uh, Katie is based in Wheatland, Missouri, Um, and she's actually part of our Farmer Fellows Program, which is a fellowship that you've been in now for eight, eight months. Katie, is that right? Yeah, it's been a great eight months. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I actually have only just met you in the last couple months, but it's been such a joy to have you in the Farm Commons community so closely and um, especially hear all of the wisdom that you bring to your business and to the farming world um, about business structures, uh, especially cooperatives, which is just a little peek into what we're going to be talking about today. Um but I wanted to welcome you and also say hi to you, Eva. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Kate and Katie. It's great to be here with you. And yeah, welcome to the podcast, Katie. It's awesome to continue our relationship with you in this way. Uh, You've co-presented at workshops with us. The last one was at the beginning of um, 2020, which seems like ages ago. Yeah, (laughs) And it's been a joy to work with you in the Farmer Fellows Program as well. And we're excited for all our podcast listeners to get to know a bit more about you and your farm and the food hub that you're a part of. Great. I'm excited to share. Yeah. Tell us about you and your farm. Share it all. We want to hear it. All right. Well, we don't have time for that, but I will share a little piece of uh, my farming world, um, especially when it as it relates to the co-op. But just to give some background about our farm, my husband and I farm oh about five acres of actual crops, uh, and then the rest is pasture. So we have sixty-seven acres here in Wheatland, Missouri, uh, which is right where the Ozarks meet the plains, and so it's quite hilly and rocky big cattle country. (laughs) We have a certified organic farm and we grow, we're CSA online sales. We also do wholesale with the Kansas City Food Hub and some other restaurants and also Whole Foods is we sell them bedding plants, certified organic bedding plants for the spring production garden season. Um, And yeah, we, my husband and I do most of everything on our farm. We're just under, probably we're around $90,000 a year in sales. Um, And so the two of us can kind of manage really diversified production. We do eggs, uh, produce, um, cut flowers, and then uh, the bedding plants and some value added stuff. So as we get older, we're also looking into diversifying into some less labor intensive things. So maybe some more value added, but um, that's a conversation for another time. Um, yeah, but we're also a uh, part of the Kansas City Food Hub, uh, which is what we're going to 
I guess, focus on today. And it's a cooperative. We have about 25 growers in the cooperative. And um, my I am one of the co-founders of the Food Hub, which started in 2015. Well, really curious about um, your farm and its place within the Kansas City Food Hub and how that got started. You mentioned a bit about the cooperative. And so can you take us down the path that you traveled to get to being a part of this food hub? Yeah, you know, I think uh, my life has changed. It hasn't changed much in the last six years, but it changed a lot from like 2009 to, to when the food hub started. I was really finding my place in the food system. Um, I had lived, I grew up in Kansas City and I left when I was 18 to go to college and then traveled the world a bit and got called back to Kansas City to work in extension. I worked for the Lincoln University Cooperative Extension and Lincoln is the 1890 land-grant university in Missouri because, you know, Missouri was a slave state. Um, and so we have an 1890 land-grant in Missouri that was specifically for black students. Um, and now it's called a historically black college. But they have extension programs and they were starting a small farm program. And uh, I found out about it when I was deep in the woods in Oregon. My mom was like, there's this job. You need to come home. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so uh, I made it back home and... Uh, started working for Extension, and that's when I started working with a lot of farmers um, and realizing, like, they need a lot of help, obviously, because we, us farmers, we have very dynamic businesses. And so you need to know a lot of things about a lot of things, from starting seeds to actually starting a business um, or keeping your business going. Um, and so one of the, but the other thing that I was finding with farmers that I just really didn't feel like I could help them much with was the market. And, you know, farmers markets uh, in 2010, 2011, farmers markets were exploding in Kansas City, the number of them. We went from like 25 markets in Kansas City to 55. And mm, what was happening wow. is a lot of the farmers were having to go to two or more markets to make the same amount of money they used to make at one market. Like our mentor farmers that live not too far away from here, they were at the time of Operation the Retired Now were one of the biggest organic farms in Missouri. And at the farmer's market they went to in Kansas City, they were making $5,000 on a Saturday. And then um, wow. two years later, they were making 2000 2500 mm. And part of that was because there was, you know, a lot of grocery stores were now offering um, local and also organic because they were certified, one of the first certified organic farms in the area. Um, and so the competition got a lot higher. And so we came to the table to start talking about, well, how do we build new markets for farmers? Because there's a huge demand for a local food. And so how do they get access to it? Because most of the demand was from that sort of middle market um, where it's wholesale, but it's also it's like high end wholesale. Um, it's not like the semi-truck U.S. food wholesale. <laughs> so uh, that's where we started talking about the food hub. And um, so the conversation, you know, started from those sort of how do we help small farmers get access to new markets to, well, what's the market and what do farmers need in order to access that market? There was another group that was also thinking about getting a food hub started around the same time, yeah. right? So, yeah, like we did. So we did. Um, there was other conversations happening in the city of Lawrence in Douglas County, which is about 45 minutes from Kansas City, and it's a college town, KU, and they have a lot of farms. Um, and part of the reason for that is because they have a really great sort of incubation 
uh, program going there with other farmers that like help other farmers and it's a college town. So, um, there's a little bit more local food scene kind of thing happening, but it, maybe it's just more concentrated too. It feels like, cause it's a smaller city, but they were at the same time as the Kansas city food hub working group was working on our feasibility study. They were also doing a feasibility study funded by Douglas County, our feasibility study ended up um, getting funding from um, Health Forward Foundation, and so they uh, the feasibility study for the Kansas City Food Hub was around $130,000, and the one in Douglas County was around $75,000. And so there were two major feasibility studies going on at the exact same time, and we were working together. So that may sound really confusing, and why didn't we just join forces? And part of it was because... Douglas County was um, it was a, a government sort of um, inspired. Well, I don't want to say inspired. It was more of a government led. It was done by the Sustainability Office of uh, either Lawrence or Douglas County. I can't remember which one. And so they had the money that they wanted to spend on a Douglas County feasibility study. And we wanted to see what a Kansas City, a greater Kansas City food hub could look like that was within like 150, 250 mile radius outside of Kansas City. And so we decided we were going to work jointly to like on two separate feasibility studies. So we ended up hiring two different consultants. Um so one consultant more had like the qualitative approach where with the Douglas County study, they actually interviewed, uh, did long form interviews with farmers. And then our consultant, um, uh, New Venture Advisors, they did uh, a big survey. And so we got like 120 buy, uh, farmers to respond and, and or 120 buyers to respond and 90 farmers or something like that. So um, and we shared results mm. with each other. Um, to to build these feasibility mm. studies. And when did that wrap up? Uh, 2014. And the other difference wow. was the the Douglas County one, they made theirs 100% public, their feasibility study. We kept, we did a public version of our feasibility study and kept the more sensitive business information um, for the farmers that actually wanted to start the business. Um, and so any farmer that came to the table to discuss starting the food hub with our group had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and then they got access to the entire feasibility study. Mm. Wow. So I am I heard initially 2009, and then the study wrapped up in 2014, which is a pretty huge chunk of time, especially considering that you're also running this beautiful farm business that you mentioned at the top of the episode. <laughs> um, and so... I'm wondering how you ended up getting other farmers on board for this idea, especially for the long haul. And, and how how did it look like to, um, just, I imagine, be really patient with that process? Yeah, so um, we didn't really start the Food Hub conversations until 2011. Um, and also, uh, <laughs> we were just, my husband and I were just also starting our farm around that time, too. We actually incorporated as an LLC in 2012. 12. So um, we were also on the <laughs> cusp of being farmers. Uh, but in terms of how we engaged other farmers, um, you know, once the feasibility study came out, um, we put the call out because one of the questions in the survey that was sent out was like, do you want to participate in a food hub? And there were several ways we asked that questions about the severity of participation and so we took the people who had indicated some willingness to participate in a food hub um, and we contacted all of them. Mm -hmm. 
um, and said, okay, you said yes. <laughs> you said maybe. <laughs> uh, we're going to have a meeting and we're going to talk about what that could mean. And so 50 people showed up to that meeting. Um, and from there, you know, there's only so many farmers that have enough time to come to the table and talk about this stuff month after month because it did take us several months to figure out who was going to lead. Um, there were about seven people left at the table um, two months later. Wow. And those were, far you know, the farmers. So it was basically a self-identification. Um, we want the farmers to own it. Who wants to own it? Um, and in what I mean by own it, I mean, like, develop it. <laughs> like, here's right. the feasibility study. Um, we're going to help you as technical assistance practitioners. And I, when I say we, I mean K-State Extension, uh, Lincoln Extension, the Douglas County folks were at the table. Because after the feasibility studies came out, our two groups did merge. Because one of the things in the feasibility studies said there's really only room for one food hub based on supply. $125 million in local food demand, but the supply just isn't quite there or wasn't in 2015. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so uh, we basically, we as the technical assistance providers would organize the meetings. We would uh, provide like educational opportunities about the different business structures. We would also look into other food hubs and try to offer examples and of course, I was also starting to farm at the time. And so my, in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, I really want to be part of the co-op too. <laughs> so, or the food hub. Um, and we can talk more about that, what happened right, later right. with that. But um, but at this time you're, you're participating. Yeah. Yeah. At I'm that time you were participating yeah. as a extension staff, Correct. not, not as yes. a farmer. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, but I had... I think, you know, my experience starting a farm and, and getting into farming was really helping inform like the the challenges that were set in front of us um, from a real physical, like experiential uh, perspective. Uh, so, yeah, that was I was embodying mm -hmm. the uh, exhaustion of a farmer. Too, so. <laughs> Bringing that embodied wisdom to the table as y'all are decision making. Yeah, that's, a, that's yes. an important piece <laughs> for sure. Well, Katie, this is such great insight into what it takes to align, you know, your business goals. Like as a farmer, having the ability to sell into high demand markets when there is such great demand in your area in tandem with supporting other farmers to do the same through the cooperative and just all of that um, organizing amongst government entities and different farmers and their goals and your goals and then forming the cooperatives goals that's that's a lot of movement building so right on really you know hats off to you that's an incredible um accomplishment and mm -hmm. example of really what it can take to align business goals with um the legal business structure because, you know, us at Farm Commons, we always have to bring it back to the law. And <laughs> yeah, Kate, you're laughing. It's so true. Um, so the LLC, while that was the right fit for your, you know, personal farm business, Green Gate Family Farm, um, I think you were saying it wasn't the right fit for the 
what ended up being the food hub's business structure um, for your ownership and membership goals for the food hub and you know that's where where you landed on the cooperative so can you tell us a bit about um how you how you where where you formed the cooperative how you formed it decision making there yeah um like I said, the farmers at the table, you know, they needed to pick whatever they felt most comfortable with. And quite honestly, none of us had, I had some experience starting a cooperative, but it was a food like buying cooperative club. And, you know, of course I had joined my cooperative grocery store in college or whatever. So that was my experience with cooperatives in this area of the country. There's just a, not a lot of any cooperatives outside of like a dairy co-op or, you know, there's grain elevator co-ops, but you know, our farmers didn't have experience with that. And um, quite, honest, quite honestly, there's probably negative association with cooperatives in this mm. area. But um, so we had to learn a lot. Uh, and that's where the technical assistance providers were very helpful because we had co-op specialists come in and talk about like there is a really big grain co-op in Kansas and it's successful. And he came in to talk to us and was very supportive and everything. So that was great to hear from him. Um, but LLC was what we were all kind of used to. All of us had an LLC. Um, and at this point, us, I'm saying us because, um, I really started to see myself as part of a, maybe the co-founder of the food hub at that point. And it got solidified when we did decide to become a cooperative because in the state of Kansas, you need five signatures. Um, and at the time that we were ready to form, we had four farmers left at the table from that original seven. And so I said, well, you need a fifth signature, so I'll be the fifth co-founder. <laughs> um, and that's kind of when I transitioned into being a co-owner, co-founder of the Food Hub. But we did talk about LLC. Um, the thing about the LLC ownership structure among multiple owners was adding new ones and being able to let the founding owners potentially step away because the people at the table were not necessarily what we would call anchor growers. And the co-op needs anchor growers that can provide cases and cases and cases of consistent tomatoes all summer long. Um, and they need, you know, all those like um, staple products that you want to see in your in your farm store from a wholesale perspective tomatoes cucumbers zucchinis peppers onions potatoes like you need a grower that can really consistently provide those as a base product all the other stuff that's exciting like um you know radicchio and you know even carrots around here since we have terrible carrot soil well at least on my farm we do <laughs> um and you know some of the, the more specialty items are great but they're only going to purchase wholesale buyers are only going to purchase so much of that. They want, you know, 40, 40 pounds of tomatoes every single week consistently or something. Mm -hmm. And so we did have to find that anchor grower and none of the people at the table who started the food hub were the anchor grower. And they were concerned about having an ownership structure where they were going to be on the hook for the business down the line when they knew that maybe that wasn't their own, own business path. Um, and so a cooperative structure really allows for people to come in easily, more easily, and for those other, those co-owner, the co-starters of the business to then be on the same level playing field as every other farmer. Mm, that's so important. Um, and I think you can potentially, yeah, I think you potentially do that in an LLC, but we were like baffled as to exactly how, and we thought it was going to be super complicated, whereas a co-op structure is built exactly for that. 
um, a one member, one vote kind of situation. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that democratic principle where, you know, regardless of how much each member invests, um, they each only get one vote rather than it being proportionate. No, that's great. And I just I just want to yeah. highlight for for listeners, especially that there was kind of two things happening here. You were both managing, co-managing the work of forming the Food Hub business itself, um, but then also managing the work of forming the legal cooperative as sort of the entity that housed that business, which, you know, speaking to farmers who are like, I'm just trying to operate. I'm just trying to survive every year. I can't think about business structures like that's that's a lot of work to both create the business and create the the legal entity for the business at the same time. That's that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. So the one thing that we had going for us was that it was November when we um, actually formed the co-op legally. And so we had uh, in November around here for uh, people who maybe live on in Florida or California, we have a, a season, a distinct season, and it pretty much ends in November, December for some of the big specialty crops. Uh, that's changing a little bit. Sort of a little side note, we're really trying to help farmers do season extension to grow year round, especially lettuce, because we have so many schools wanting to buy local food mm. right now, and they want mixed lettuce. And we have one school that wants 200 pounds wow. a week throughout the entire winter. Oh my gosh. So, um, you know, that's an opportunity for a grower to do that in Missouri or Kansas or in these areas, you know, where they have high tunnels and things. But so that's a market that's developing too out of this. Uh, but back to, um, you know, starting the business itself of a, of a food hub. Um, at the same time, we were, we had incredible help from the sustainability director in Douglas County. And she uh, basically, Eileen Horn, she helped us she basically wrote the grant for the value-added producer grant through rural development to sort of get the food hub off the ground. Um, and so that was happening. And I, you know, she, that was where the support system was incredible because if she hadn't been there, you know, the farmers would have been trying to figure out how to apply for these quite honestly, very cumbersome grants. Um, but the feasibility study really helped because you have to have a feasibility study with a value-added producer grant. And that was a pretty impressive feasibility study. So, um, you know, I don't, while I don't think feasibility studies are the right road for every food hub, it was definitely a huge asset to jump and move forward with it. I was so impressed with the farmers that kept coming to the table and they were not getting paid to be there. They just wanted to see the food hub happen and believed it was the right move forward. It wasn't necessarily to like really benefit their own businesses because they weren't anchor growers and they didn't know how much food they were going to be able to sell through the food hub, but they really believed in the idea. And um, I just really want to shout out to them for all the energy they put into building this business over the eight months it took. Um, and here I was getting paid to be at the table because I was an extension professional. <laughs> so um, yeah, I appreciate their work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lots of resourcing and people contributing, um, really strong network of community all built to put this food hub together. Um, and it kind of sounds like in the Midwest, November, December is an ideal time to potentially seed a cooperative. If we're thinking about growing business yeah. entities. <laughs> um, like garlic. Nice. Yeah. So think about cooperatives in the Midwest like garlic. That's the, the time of year <laughs> to seed. Uh, yeah. Katie, I'm curious just to take a step back um, from 
you know, the relationship aspects, which we do want to get into. Um, I'm really curious about how the actual filing process went. You know, you mentioned you needed um, five signatures in the state of Kansas to form the cooperative. Um, but can you tell us a bit more about how the, the paperwork process went for you? Yeah, I probably blanked most of it out just because it's... <laughs> you don't but... want to cherish that memory. <laughs> I actually do have sort of like some vivid memory of like emailing because we were the five farmers live like two of them in Missouri, three of them in Kansas. And like if you were to drive to all the farms in mm -hmm. one day, you'd probably have like eight hours of driving or something. So like we're all spread out. Wow. And so um, we I do have some vivid memory of like signing the paper and scanning it in probably because my scanner wasn't working and it took forever. But um, and like scanning that signature to the uh, lawyer or whoever it was getting that paperwork together for us and being like, all right, that that's my contribution to our articles of association. Um, and so that was exciting, but to sort of step back to when we were like, okay, we're going to start a co-op now. What? Well, we have to find somebody who knows about co-op law and <laughs> that's really hard. <laughs> uh, there aren't mm -hmm. that many options. Unfortunately, uh, we did find a, a great lawyer. Um, he knows about co-ops. I wouldn't, you know, like, expertise in the area he got all of our bylaws together he got the member agreement together and and we um and the articles of association so he helped us with all those legal documents um but i wouldn't say there was like a big like spreadsheet of choices in front of us in terms of like who was going to help us do that and of course we had to pay him so we had to find some money there to incorporate as a business because i'll tell you again the farmers at the table weren't you know they weren't going to invest a whole bunch of thousands of dollars into starting this business of their own money. And so um, because they believed in the idea and we thought it was a good one, we went after a lot of grant funds. Yeah, that's that was the exciting process of that. But the bylaws were really important because it's like we keep we, we look back to them a lot. Um, they really yes. are our governing documents. Mm -hmm. Yes, we love to hear that. Um, I think anybody who's not familiar with Farm Commons curriculum um, should know that when we talk about the law, we really also try to emphasize that we're talking about relationships and that any agreements in the form of legal documents um, that are created in forming a business will really be informed by the relationships that create those agreements. So I definitely want to talk about your bylaws and um, your operating and yeah, your agreements that um, sort of cement your your business but first i want to return to the relationship piece of this there's there's been a whole bunch of people coming in and out and contributing to the, to the food hub um, sticking around or not and i just want to know how you navigated and how you continue to navigate your relationships in the food hub with the other producers and what sort of tools have helped you along the way yeah that's a Big question. So um, we are going into our seventh year of production. We started with five growers and quickly became, I think, seven or eight. And so it was a pretty small group of folks at the beginning. Um, most of the members had a board, you know, had a, was a member of the board. Um, so we saw each other every month for for that. But um, so there was a lot of trust in the, like the core starting group of farmers, I think just because we had known each other and we had been working with each other. And then as we were bringing on new growers, um, it was challenging to try to figure out the relationship piece of a co-op. Whoa, sorry, hold on. 
my tripod just fell over. <laughs> Let's try that Podcast again. Podcast drama. <laughs> Podcast drama. Uh, so um, I'll back up there. Uh, when we um, when we were bringing on new members, it was challenging to figure out especially members we didn't know or have a relationship with, we definitely, we would go to their farm for a farm visit to make sure that, you know, you know, we just had to, uh, we stepped on foot on their farm to know what they were doing. Um, and it was also challenging because, uh, you know, farmers joining a co-op, they're, co they're joining for the market and we didn't necessarily have the market figured out and we still don't. COVID really messed everything up too, but we're not going to go into that. But, um, you know, when a farmer comes on, they're like, well, what do you want me to grow for the co-op? It was like, well, I don't know. What do you want to grow? What are you good at? And, um, you know, then we go to the buyers and they're like, well, what do you guys have? And it's like, well, what do you want? <laughs> uh, so, uh, sorry, that, that part is really hard, the supply and the demand. Um, and we've had farm, we've definitely had farmers leave the co-op. Not that many, I'll tell you that. But, um, over the years, I'd say we'd have maybe, I don't know, a handful of farmers that just said, oh, this isn't really working or they stopped farming. That happens too and they yeah. uh, retire out so yeah and how about that like but, core group of people who are um you know whose names are on the legal documents and who you're actually operating co-operating this business with um yeah one of them has stepped away uh, she stepped away in the first year um and so the other four are still major parts of the business um two of them are still on the board which is actually you know, they they have been on the board because, you know, we went we went from about 10 farmers and jumped quickly to 25 in the last couple of years. And we've been trying to figure out new board members to serve. And it's been a little bit of a challenge. I think people are intimidated by serving on the board. <laughs> We're trying to I, hopefully we can have some new um, some new blood in on the board. And we have had over the years, we have some great new members this year. Um, on the board of directors, um, including one of the anchor growers. He's been on the board for a couple of years now. So um, it's nice to have the new growers um, be encouraged to serve, but we still have a good working relationship with the, the founders. Like we're, we're still all trying to fight for the survival of the food hub, which is a challenge. Um, yeah. It's expensive running a food hub. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I bet along with many other uh, trials and tribulations. Um, and you mentioned that you refer to your bylaws often. Um, can you say more mm -hmm. about that? Like what what wisdom is there? Uh, what benefit do you have from yeah. them? And, um, how do they, are they living documents? Um, would love to hear about your relationship yeah, that, to those. <laughs> I wish they were more living. Um, the problem is like actually updating anything in the bylaws or the member agreements takes uh, time and, um, and then also consulting the lawyer. Um, and so sometimes when we like we're, we're due for a, a house cleaning right now. And so we've actually got a, a subcommittee going right now to rethink about the business plan and, you know, the future of the food hub, um, doing some visioning, um, to try to sort of, cause now we started with five, then became four and now we're 25. So, who, what do the new members want? How do they want to see the food hub move and grow? Uh, and, and, and from that perspective, we're a living business because it always is changing with the people that come. But for the bylaws, we reference them mostly during, 
you know, oh, it's annual meeting time. What do the bylaws say about the annual meeting and making sure we have our ducks in a row for that? Um, you know, we actually changed the bylaws at the very beginning. Um, originally, it said there would be a five-member board, and um, I think we increased it to five to seven because we thought seven people was more was better than five. Um, so that we could, you know, if farmers couldn't show up for the meeting, we'd still at least have five or six people there. Um, so they are to some degree living, but I wish they were a little more living if we had uh, more time to constantly be like looking at them and making sure that they serve us well. I think the member agreement is the most cumbersome document that I kind of wish we could change the whole thing right now, but we need to do some processing around it. It's really clunky. Um, it's big, it's long, it's got a lot of jargon in it, and farmers are like, what does this mean? Because <laughs> um, it's what they're supposed to sign when they when they ask to join the food hub. They need to sign a member agreement, and there's just a lot of language in there that's kind of confusing, and I don't even know what it means. So, yep. Yeah, it is the story of so many legal documents that we all know and right. love. <laughs> um, but I love that intention right. to make it a little bit more accessible and approachable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Katie, you're really illuminating how writing down our commitments to each other in business is so helpful for maintaining boundaries and healthy relationships, especially as um, the people are in flux, you know, different numbers of people and then also the their interests and their goals and what they need out of the cooperative um, as owners. So there's the, the bylaws that govern that and then also what the members need out of the cooperative um, for the member agreement there. So you're highlighting all of all of those important um, functions that your agreements can help to manage and also um, underscoring the complexity that governing documents like bylaws can can contain and complexity in terms of um, what all they can cover and you know being actively involved in the drafting up of those documents um, and putting in your authentic needs and goals can make it so that they can cover a complex array of issues that can lift you up when times are really good um, and also when times are not so good, you know, when people want to exit yeah. and th that sort of thing. Sure. Um, so super amazing accomplishment uh, that you and your fellow food hubbers have achieved. And as we wrap up here, um, what wisdom or guiding principles would you share with other uh, producers who are interested in forming a food hub in order to co-market their products um, or just interested in forming a cooperative um, for their for their business? Yeah, we'll be prepared to strap in for the long haul. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a cooperative is um, needs a lot of um, pampering. And one of the ways we've been able to continue the cooperative is that I have been able to leverage my off-farm job to support the co-op. And so I work for a nonprofit. I'm a food systems director. And I've been able to um, utilize the Food Hub as a partner um, makes our grant applications look good because we can show that we're expanding markets and we're working with a for-profit organization. Um, and I've been able to get them some funding to support staff through nonprofit, for-profit partnership, you know, USDA grants. And so that's a two-way street. It helps our organization look like with our outcomes because that market is so important. We can just help farmers get access to a market immediately that took you know, seven years to develop. Um, and then, you know, 
our nonprofit can also support the uh, the farmer itself in how they might actually grow wholesale. And so that helps the co-op because then they get more supply um, and they get staffing support. So I think, you know, I would definitely try to find as many outside the box partners as possible when trying to form a business that's not too cumbersome, but like invite extension to the table. I know, you know, uh, you don't, not every area has an extension agent that will either be able to help you or have the desire to help you um, or have the expertise. And so, but maybe it's not extension. Maybe there's another nonprofit in the area, like invite them to the conversations. They might be able to leverage parts of their organization to help your, um, you know, visioning process or, or you succeed. And I think that's really, really important because we could never, ever have made this co-op happen if we hadn't had all of that periphery support. Um, and it's still, it would, it would have collapsed a long time ago too, if we hadn't continued those relationships. Um, but yeah, I think trying to be as transparent as possible while also protecting the business has to, you have to be careful about that too. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I love, I love this story, Katie, because I think it shows, um, it shows just a, the incredible sort of uh, long picture, big picture vision that you you have, you and your um, co-food hubbers have for your food system in your area, and uh, and how this desire to have a um, cooperatively owned business is leads to a lot of messy conversations and a lot of long processing, uh, and that there's a lot of creative solutions that are possible to help guide that along. Uh, so I, I love, I loved hearing about that, your decision-making today. And if there are any listeners out there who are uh, interested in their own creative solutions to help their, uh, their local food systems, and you feel like maybe business structures are something that you should be thinking about as you come up with those solutions, there's a really great resource at Farm Commons called Farmer's Guide to Business Structures. It's hefty, but it has everything you need to know. And um, there's also people like Katie out there to connect with. And I just want to thank you again for sharing your wisdom and experience with us today, Katie. Yeah, thank you so much, Katie. We're grateful for you. <laughs> Thanks. For anybody listening, if you do, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to share stories or more information for those farmers wanting to do similar things. Wonderful. Well, we're going to end it up, end it here and uh, see you all soon for our next episode. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Okay, thanks for joining us today. If you are interested in building a cooperative business, Katie would genuinely love to talk to you. You can reach out to her at the email that I've dropped in the show notes. And keep your eye on our podcast feed for stories from our other Farm Commons fellows, Michelle, Martha, and Hannah. To close us out, here is a special treat from Katie. When you're standing like a tree with your roots running down and your branches wide and open, down comes the rain. 
Out comes the sun, born is the fruit of a heart that is open when you're standing like a tree with your roots running down and your branches wide and open. Down comes the rain, out comes the sun. Born is the fruit of a heart that is open when you're standing like a tree.